Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of The Leadership Habit, we are talking with Sophie Wade about what's next now that the future of work has arrived. Sophie Wade is a work futurist, an international keynote speaker, and workforce innovation specialist at Future of Work Consultancy, Flexel Network. Over 475,000 people have taken her LinkedIn courses on empathy and future of work skills. Sophie's executive advisory work and transformative workshops help leaders understand and adapt to new business conditions and attract, engage, and retain a productive, multi-generational distributed workforce. Sophie got her BA at Oxford University and MBA at International Business School in Seed. Sophie's second book, Empathy Works, The Key to Competitive Advantage in the New Era of Work, comes out May 3rd. Tune into this conversation as Sophie and I talk about what's next now that the future of work has arrived. Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall, and I am so excited to be sitting down with Sophie Wade today to talk about what's next now that the future of work has arrived. Sophie, you heard her bio, incredible bio. Sophie, how did you become a workplace innovator? How? Tell me about your journey, how you came to be, and I'm so excited to be talking about your book today, but let's hear a little bit about you and, how, and your experience within this work. Or anything that you want to share. (laughs) Uh, So, well, I think, you know, my journey is actually kind of interesting and sort of important because I grew up in England. Um, I am British and American now, Um, but I've lived, uh, I actually studied Chinese and then um, having done science and and have lived around the world. And I've lived in five different, and worked in five different countries, which really gave me a different perspective that, you know, work is different in every country and how people work and when they start and stop work and the attitudes they have towards it. So that really helped me um, sort of understand that there, there is no set way of working. There are sort of different rules in every place. Um, and then my sort of first career was all about strategic development. I built a lot of financial models and help people raise money. Um, but then I have two kids. And um, when my, my daughter became three years old and, and they were sort of both complaining that they never saw me, I then started looking for workplace flexibility and um, sort of looked into it, did some research, um, having got a job that was three days a week. I was like, there must be many more people who want to work um, or have more flexibility in their work. And so um, I actually started working for a friend uh, three days a week doing uh, executive search for hedge funds, which was fascinating. Um, but I really started looking into this aspect of workplace flexibility. This was 2011. So this was 12 years ago. And um, and so I decided that I either was going to try, you know, maybe spend a year, year and a half trying to get myself the kind of flexible job that was going to allow me to have better work-life balance, uh, the, you know, right. very sort of old term now, um, but, or set up a company that was going to sort of work, sort of work on that and that's what I did instead. I set up a company. And so I've really been in this space advocating for trying to, you know, connect people, trying to, uh, you know, do consulting and workshops. And, and then in two, about around 2014, I came across the term, the future of work, of which workplace flexibility is a big chunk of it. And I realized that that was a there was a lot that was involved and that was going to be very challenging for companies to adjust to because really driven by technology. So that's how I really got into this and, and, and really looking at how leadership is changing, 
uh, a lot of challenges between generations in terms of communications and miscommunications. And I know, Jen, that is something that you are, we've had some great conversations. <laughs> already. Um, so that was something. And then the, the last piece of it, there were sort of three pillars. And the third one was the decentralized workforce, which was increasing then, of course. Um, you know, we know a lot more about that. Uh, since the pandemic started, but but that was that was sort of where it came from, and um, and, and so really the sort of the human centric counterbalance to this technology driven world that we're dealing with. So that's how I sort of got there because the talent aspect of it, how people are working, has become has changed a lot with all the technology now that's integrated into our work. So when you oh my gosh, like so many questions, right? Like one question. What's the biggest difference that you notice between the five countries that you've worked in um, in terms of the attitude towards work? Anything stand out or any, you know, any ahas or interesting, I guess, observations that you've made? Uh, one of the big, I mean, I, so I lived in Germany. I lived in, uh, worked in Germany for two years and most people got to work nine o'clock on the dot and left at five o'clock on the dot and worked very hard during that time. Uh, but I was actually in an, it, it was one of the first uh, um, sort of online businesses, digital business. <clears throat> and the technology people, the technologists were the only people really that I knew. And I knew a lot of them a, in the company who would be working over the weekend, who'd be working past five o'clock. So that was really interesting having been working before that or recently before that in Hong Kong, where for the, you know, around five years that on and off that I worked in Hong Kong, I worked not only long hours every weekday, but I worked two out of three Saturday mornings from nine till one every single weekend. Like that's, that's just how the work was set up. Yeah. And it, was, you know, it was a while ago. I don't know that they do that now. So going from sort of <laughs> working five and a half days a week to, to, uh, and long hours to a much shorter, um, you know, schedule. I mean, I was working past five o'clock. So that was, that sort of showed me immediately the range. And then, and, and also, you know, Europe has a, what I would say is a more balanced view of work, that work is important, uh, but it has its place. And it is, it, you know, the, there's, non-work and I wouldn't sort of say life because these things were all all integrated and should be um in my opinion uh but they have it's more balanced and it isn't assumed that you're working the evening it isn't assumed that you'll work um over the weekends and so coming here to the US um and I've always been engaged in you know digital media and lots of things and was doing venture capital and I work very long hours and I've always loved my work but it has a there's a very different work culture here yeah. um to to Europe and that was that was there was a strong contrast from, from living in Germany to, to, to working here. Gosh, I love the perspective of even just bringing it back to our listeners that no matter where you sit, you likely have a different culture than the next. And it's always important to remember that because when someone's coming into your organization and you're onboarding them, they are carrying with the norms of that past industry. And mm -hmm. it's really important to have those conversations with them to let them know what is it like here? What does work look like? You and I talked about it on the pre-call, even Perception versus reality. How are you judging people in your workplace? How are you evaluating yeah. them and determining whether they're a fit or whether they're ready for the next role? That those expectations are often missed when someone joins the team. Huge. And, and, and you know, I have talked about this in, in, in sort of speeches, which is about how people react and, you know, from a generational perspective, but it's huge on the cultural perspective as well in terms of, let's just say, um, hard work. Now, hard work for 
older generations, it typically means working long hours, late at night, you know, grueling, probably grueling, boring work. Um, and that's kind of how it was. And it goes back to the Protestant Calvinist doctrines, which is like, you know, you will go to heaven if you suffer in your work. I mean, you know, it's kind of, that's where it came from. But but now, you know, younger generations, if you're using a really, you know, good tools and, you know, project management apps and, you know, Slack and all the rest of it, you can be working very hard in 40 hours, get all your work done, achieve the same result. And it, that's hard work. So if you think about how different you could be evaluated by someone older, it's like, well, you know, yes, you know, she gets stuff done, but, you know, she's not working hard because, you know, she leaves work at six o'clock or something. Like, right. that's where you get serious repercussions from people who come at things with very different um, attitudes and, and understandings based on based on their history. It's not, it, there's no critique. It's just, we have different backgrounds and, and um, interpretations uh, uh, and experiences. And that really, uh, we have to be careful how we evaluate other people and how we judge other people um, based on on sort of our own context. Oh my gosh, I love that response. And I hope that there are a lot of aha moments that were triggered <laughs> with that. So let's move into our conversation. What is next now that the future of work has arrived? I know that you had talked about it, you know, at a high level. And could you just say, what are the components again, or how do you define the future of work? Just a level set before we progress again. Oh, Huge, yes. So the future of work, there are many uh, definitions out there. Absolutely. It is very hard to nail on one. But the the way I look at it, it is really based on technology. It is a much faster, interconnected, technology-driven world, which is because it's all interconnected, we have faster feedback loops. We have a lot of new technologies which are coming in, which are meaning customer behaviors are changing, and we're having to respond much faster. Work isn't linear in the same way because of how we're having to react. So work itself has evolved. There's much more knowledge work. There's much more non-routine work. So non-routine versus routine work. Non-routine work has has grown enormously over the last- What do you mean by non-routine? Like special projects? Projects? What do you mean by non-routine? Well, anything that it's, so we've had a lot of routine work. You're doing the same thing over and over again, predictable, you project it out three to five years. Instead, yes, projects. So when we talk about non-routine work, then project work is a, is a huge portion of that. And in fact, um, the uh, Harvard Business Review, uh, November, December, 2021 issue said the project economy has arrived. Oh, and actually uh, used in Germany as an example that now 41% of their GDP was, was accounted for by projects. And projects, because they're not, they're not linear, they're not the same, they could be a bit different sizes and lengths and grouping together different people, that's a different way of working. Um, and so that's part of, so there's a lot of things that have been changing about the speed um, and the nature of how we're working and how predictable it is, because if we're integrating a new technology at our company, and then we have, you know, consumers who are then reacting in different ways to how the, you know, what the product is like or how how we're delivering our service, that's going to change the behavior, which then changes kind of how we need to operate, and then what technologies our comp- competitor are integrating, and what does that mean about how com- how our customers are reacting to our products? So we have to just keep innovating, and and I sort of use, you know, the video call like Zoom. Um, you know, Microsoft Teams over the last two years, how many times have we noticed or been alerted to, but but noticed, oh, there's a new feature here. Oh, oh, cool. And we don't kind of go, oh, there's a big software release. And, you know, so we're really used to, so the future of work is really about constant innovation, constant change 
in a more, in a less volatile way than during the pandemic, but it is to do with a lot of change. And now there have been societal developments which have, um, you know, helped move that along in terms of now you have typically have two people in a family working for economic reasons. You have, you know, a lot of um, single parent, you have, you know, a lot of single mothers who are the, the primary or sole, uh, um, you know, earner in a, in a family. Um, and so you have a lot of different societal situations which make it more challenging, which are need, you know, increasing the need to have more flexible working options. But, but technology is really the driver in terms of how it's changing so much about how we do business, how fast the marketplace is development and how we need to work as a result. And what are you like there? Okay. Again, so many thoughts stimulated, <laughs> Sophie. I, you know, I, I really do love that. Whether it's thinking about, because I know in our pre-call, we had also talked about the fact that, or maybe I think it was us talking about the fact that there are organizations that are now forcing people to go back to a fully in-person structure and they're met with resistance, right? Do you talk yeah. about flexibility? What do you see from where you sit? <clears throat> From where I sit, I really look at that as being, it, it's it's not going to set up that business or institution that somebody was asking me a question on LinkedIn about, you know, their, their college, uh, reinforcing, uh, reinstating, you know, old pre-pandemic rules. It's not going to allow entities to be competitive because when we're talking about this technology-driven, fast-moving marketplace, when you're needing to kind of like be able to pivot, not just, you know, you know post-pandemic, to be able to, to adapt to new marketplace developments, you need, to, you need your company to be responsive. You need your employees to be responsive. And it's a mindset. It really is driven by a mindset. And if you want your people to be, to be flexible, they need to be in an environment that is flexible. And that includes their work arrangements. And so we also need employees to be engaged. We need them not just to be going through the motions and turning up or, or staying at home and just doing, doing whatever and just like, you know, checking the box at the end of the day. We do need people to be engaged because the problems are much more complicated. And we're also working together much more closely. And you know, we haven't been used to that, right? We've sort of come in our kind of like, yes, you know, showing up as, you know, quasi two-dimensional two person. And now I need to know who you are and be able to respond and engage you and, and bring both, help you bring your best self and me bring my best self to tackle the problems of today. Okay, now we have to go into it because I think <laughs> seeing the whole person has yes. been the... Not the norm, right? Condition no. to come to work. Oh, by the way, you leave your personal stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With that personal time. <laughs> we don't see that. We don't have time for that. And it's interesting because I think it's created confusion around younger generations that might want it, but then also are observing. And they're like, well, maybe you don't do that. Um, and again, we're just talking. We're not labeling here if you're listening to this. Yes. But you know, because I think this can be a contentious topic, but talking about seeing the whole person, why do you think this is such a big piece of the future of work? I think, well, for me, this uh, human-centric counterbalance to the technology-driven um, environment that we're in now, that, you know, who are the people who are actually using the technologies, which are now the tools? We're not, we're not so focus on the technology instead of, you know, living inside the factories that 
were we we needed to produce enough food. I mean, that's where it all came from. We were really focused on on you know increasing production. Now we're at a place where we have sophisticated tools that we can really use, um, and it is the human beings that we need. And we need to to have people be doing their best work. And if they're going to do that, they need to feel comfortable. They need to feel included and welcome. And so that's where I come, you know, come from the empathy angle because. Empathy for me, I mean, it can be about being nice and being kind, but really empathy is about human understanding. And so when we're thinking about like who, if I want to engage you um, in my team, I need to, I need to understand who you are and, you know, what your background is and okay. So you, you know, where do you live? And, and, and I don't have to engage you sort of intimately, you know, in terms of like knowing, you know, confidential things about you or whatever you, whatever you're comfortable sharing. And that's where we sort of need to understand like, what are you comfortable sharing? What should I or should I not share? So that, but but so that we have a relationship, so we have some shared understandings, um, which helps us work together more closely, particularly in the kind of more challenging dealing with the more challenging questions and issues uh, and and solving the problems which are requiring us to come you know for somebody from marketing someone from business development someone from finance you know all the different and technology we all need to be you know working together coming with very different and diverse mindsets and contexts and backgrounds and that's what we need to to solve the problems of today and we need to be able to bring you know, everything that we can to the table and the other people around the table be able yeah. to to deal with that and accept that and embrace that. So inclusion and empathy, which are really about welcoming and understanding people and, and allowing people to be comfortable and understanding who they are, are, are absolutely critical to be able to, to move forward and be, and be competitive, um, you know, in today's environment. I love even saying that because that example earlier, talking about flexibility, whether let's say, for example, you are a single parent and you, you know, if you don't get to know the whole person, you don't know what they're walking out to, like the type of responsibilities, what that schedule looks like. And I think the individual wants that tailor now, right? That's what we're saying. They want the flexibility. And they, they, I'm sorry. And just that flexibility, there was one case I came across um, probably six or seven years ago. And the flexibility that this woman needed at that point she needed half an hour. She was a single parent. She had two kids and the kids were, I think, like six and five. And she needed to be able to get to work half an hour early, uh, later so that she could put the two kids, six and five, on the bus going to school. So, uh, you know, that's all she needed. And that was going to make all the difference in the world to her because of her, her family situation. Yes. And what's interesting, though, like, again, because we're challenging the generational norms or seeing the full person, I have absolutely sat and mediated a conversation between a manager and their employee and the manager. And maybe this is generational. Maybe this is just their lived experience could not fathom that this employee was asking for accommodations as it related to their children. And I think it was like a doctor's appointment that was going to be recurring and, you know, really pushing them. Well, if you want to make that appointment, you have to do it outside of work hours, which when are medical clinics open, you know, like when are they actually able to get care? But it was so interesting to, again, and I think, well, that was in 2018. Um, just to see that level of, in my eyes, where I sat, it was, yeah, let's just, push it out. Just as you said, a half hour, like, and this is already what the employee had proposed is like, could I come in later and work later? And this manager was still no. And I think then it comes down to our own ego of like wanting to enforce this and being resistant to change, to seeing things in a different way. Well, I mean, 
So yeah, a couple of things. One is absolutely we are human beings. We are creatures of habit and that's what we know. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons that, and also what we feel comfortable that we can control and sort of getting our arms around things. And so I think that's one of the reasons where, why people do want to sort of go back to the opinion, bringing people back to the office, because it's kind of like, I can get my hand, hands around it. But also, you know, I think one of the things, the big change that needs to happen, what's very helpful when it happens is focus on results. Because if that manager had the comfort that that person, you know, is is beholden to the results and they can be like, well, you know, as long as you get your work done, you know, you, you know, get, get it done. And at the same time, you know, how distracted, I mean, we do now understand, we have much more data now to understand how distracted that worker, that, that employee is, if they can't get it done and they're focused, you know, instead of getting, being, being able to get their work done and really engage in their work, they're keeping distracted by the fact that, well, how am I going to get this done? How am I going to get my kid to the, to the doctor? These are, these are the issues that we now understand that we, that are sort of distracting people and not allowing them to, to, to really get the, the job done. Crosshelm is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. I want to jump in because we haven't done the formal introduction. Your newest <laughs> book drops May 3rd, I believe, and it's Empathy yes. Works. What was your kind of perspective on creating that title or Empathy Works? I mean, yeah, Empathy Works. But what was your experience with wanting to name your book that? Well, um, it had a lot of, so it's Empathy Works, the key to competitive advantage in the new era of work. So Empathy, what we, I started off with a title about strategic empathy um, because it was trying to sort of say, well, this is not, and it's, empathy is not just a skill. It's a, it's a, it's a cultural value. Uh, um, it's a mindset and it's a skill. And I was trying to understand, to, to sort of get the point, like how to, to communicate that it really is, is it is strategic to enable companies, to enable employers to, to really make a difference, particularly, I mean, really, especially now we're dealing with much more challenging workforce. So really trying to come up with something and came up, you know, the, the, the sort of play on words when I just suddenly came up, I was like, hmm, that really resonates because, you know, you, you play around with titles and I was yeah. strategic empathy, but like, oh, yeah, it's fine or whatever. But it didn't, it, it, but empathy works really seemed to, to sort of nail it. It was, it, it, it like, and it does. It, it really does. Yeah. Work. <laughs> um, absolutely. Well, even I think about empathy just it goes back to seeing the whole person. So mm -hmm. what message is empathy works? Like, let's talk about the messages that are within the book. Um, do you have a framework or what? Tell me more about what your book, how your book is written. So thank you. The, the, the aim of the book is not just to 
to sort of say, well, this, you know, human understanding and, and, you know, if we can tap into, the, you know, our people, that's, that's it. Because we do have the, 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 this new era of work, the future of work is, is really different. And I wanted to, to present a sort of framework that will help people really understand um, a way to move forward, not not just as kind of like a skill that you can practice. Although there are lots of empathy habits, which I clearly lay out in a very practical way, like these are the things, the empathy habits you can practice as a leader, as a salesperson. Um, but starting off with a framework, sort of understanding where we are, why we're here, you know, technology and all the rest of it. And what technology has done is really allowed us to focus on rather than like TV blasting out to millions and millions of viewers with a very sort of generic message, we now can actually focus and target to customers on a one-on-one basis. We can actually recognize them in the street and go, oh, that's one of my customers. And we sort of have a sense of who they are. We empathize with them. So now, you know, there's a lot of stuff. And I have a LinkedIn course, which is which has got a, it's called Empathy for Sales Professionals, which has been doing really, really well because we need to understand and tap into and you know, understand what the pain points of our customers are. So that's the that's the first piece. And then we sort of look at the customer journey and all the different elements of that customer journey. And so I sort of have this yin-yang symbol. And there's the customer journey and then there's the employee journal journey. Well, if we have all these people within our organizations who are trying to get to, to empathize with customers and trying to understand whether they're, you know, delivering the technology solution, whether they're talking to them in the sales or when you're, you know, wherever you are in the organization, all the different elements need to be coordinated and focused on and understanding that particular customer. So they also need to be able to empathize, not with the customer, but with each other, because it, this needs to be consistent. So the employee journey, what is the employee journey for each person from when they first are attracted to the organization um, and how they sort of get promoted, all the milestones along the way. And now as they leave at some point, because, you know, not every organization is big and had, you know, diverse enough to be able to keep people, but you may want them to come back again in the future and also spread the world about, word about what a great organization you are. So have them as ambassadors. So there's no, there's no sort of like when somebody's left the organization, you know, we burn the bridges and, okay, and but there uh, is, I, I say that because I, I still observe that. And I, I do yes. think it's it's bananas because I've watched um, employees that have been there for multiple years, great attitudes, great contributions, and right because of a variety of reasons, it could be size, scope, career opportunities, development. Mm-hmm. The employee has chosen to move to a different thing, and then I watch the ego of leaders taking it. Maybe it's incredibly personal, maybe whatever that is, but then you burn that bridge. And what do you think that employee is going to do? It's like a slap in the face of all it's, of the contributions. Like we have to even, see it's not, it doesn't even make business sense. If you have someone who leaves, they, if you have them as an ambassador sort of saying, oh my God, that company was so amazing. Right. Recommending in a tight labor market, you don't want people to anybody to be bad about in your company or feel disconnected that we are in a, this, you know, we have a much more network fabric uh, type of economy now, and they can be recommending, they can be introducing people, or, you know, being, being a, you know, and in, in sort of marketing, your, you know, your company and they may come back. I mean, I have recommended in the past for people, if there are like warrants or options that you give employees, you can put them on hold. They can go and get valuable experiences somewhere else and then come back and then re-engage with that sort of, you know, uh, you know, employee optional, you know, warrants program, so that you actually encourage them to come back once they have more experiences. So I think that there's there's a lot that can be done to have that not be a sort of you know linear journey in and out of the organization at some point because we know these thirty year careers are not there anymore, but it be sort of much more circular 
um, and, and networked. And people might have been an employee at one point, then they might be a part-time employee. They might later in the future become a sort of expert consultant because you know that they know about this particular marketplace or we tried something there. And you know, so there are lots of different arrangements that you can have which um, with employees currently and in the future that aren't necessarily full-time or, or even part-time employees. So that's the framework. It's really the, 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 the customer journey, then the employee journey. So that gives a framework for, for the whole book um, but really look at, looking at what I call the human-centric system. So it's really then thinking about empathy, empathy in terms of, you know, integrating some remote working, some workplace flexibility, flexibility for people who may be fixed site, because um, there are a lot of employees still who, who don't have any option. They, they have to be working on site, wherever that may be. Um, and so rem, uh, remote working isn't going to be a possibility for them, but they can still have flexibility. Um but, but we're thinking about everybody's situation and how to to get to to bring the best to help everybody do their best work. So that's that's what it's about. Um, so it's very it's practical. It sort of gives you the the sort of the it sets the stage, gives a framework, and then as I said, it it shows how empathy can be practiced, bringing it into the culture, integrating it into the culture, elevating it as a cultural value, helping change the mindset because the mindset is really key in order to make workplace flexibility work. For example. It really is about focusing on each person as an individual um, and, and then how you can practice empathy in all aspects of, of, of your work, teamwork, leadership, um, and, and really, you know, a lot to do with inclusion as well, because empathy and inclusion are, are very closely um, connected. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's important, you know, as, as the leaders are listening to this right now, thinking, examining, being curious with yourself. What are the beliefs, or let's call them old rules, traditional rules, that may not serve today's working environment? And what do you need to relearn or adjust to be able to accommodate that? Because yes, you said it's a tight labor market. If you don't accommodate it, yeah. someone else will. And it's as I hate to be as like direct and blunt as that, but for the most part, yes. And I think we talked about this in a pre-call, the companies that are you know, really addressing, like seeing the whole person making sure that they're making certain accommodations, even changing the expectation of how a leadership shows up. I feel like oh, yeah. a leader shows up. I feel like the accountability of a leader is that much different. You can't just show up as the office bully or the office jerk and be that authoritative person <laughs> because you will have turnover underneath you. And then oh, yeah. the buck will ultimately like, you know, that spotlight will shine on you. And it's, again, don't judge yourself for maybe embracing those things today. Be curious with yourself about, okay, what can I let go? And know that it's just a new muscle that you're building. It's just a new muscle. Right. <laughs> but I have a question as it relates to, um, I forget what you had said, which I loved, but I kind of equate it to the gig economy, right? The project or the project worker. Mm -hmm. And because that is a big piece. If I look at even myself as an individual, you know, I work, you know, quarter time, sometimes for Crestcom, part-time for Crestcom, but then I have mm -hmm. my own business, but then I consult and then I work for a different organization. I have five different email addresses, right? Oh, and right. So when you're really thinking about culture and the need for the individual to see the whole person, to understand the scope, because it also impacts, you know, even if I think about being a gig worker, because that's kind of how I, I guess I would classify myself to some extent, uh, it's that, you know, they have to see what else is on my plate. Because you can't just drop in and say, I want you to do this now because I said so. And I forgot mm -hmm. to drop. No, actually, like you have to be more mindful of what I have and I want to help you achieve your success. 
but it's not that same like quick feedback loop when you're talking to people that have different priorities. I don't know. But, and so my question with that, that being said, right. Understanding that the gig economy is there and that empathy needs to happen. How do you preserve your culture in the face of a gig or project-based economy? Because then you're, that individual is caught between cultures. Like, how do you actually preserve that from your perspective? I know we didn't plan to talk about this, but it's just more of a curiosity. (laughs) No, sure. So there's cultures are right. There are so many things that you you talked about there. So I I would I do want to say that uh, a key thing about how I see leadership changing, um, and I will say I'm sorry about it. So dark. It was very very bright before. So <laughs> here in New York, but somebody's got dark. So I'm sort of in the shade. But hey, we um, understand tech challenges now. That's I know. What do. <laughs> Every single person needs to understand. When I set my lighting, the sun was shining bright. It was great. I'm not going to get up to change it. And that's okay. (laughs) So, so thank you. Uh, So first of all, leadership has had to change enormously. Um, And I uh, actually, in my first book, I talk about going, that leadership is going from ego to empathy Um, and or, or you can sort of look at it as being the ego for being from the person to the organization. And so, so you have this culture, which really is the culture. And it isn't driven by the leader. The leader sets, you know, helps set it, but it is a culture of, the, of a company, something which is very much involved. Everybody is involved and everybody lives it and every day. Um, but it, it really has changed how leaders need to interact with people and understanding all the different things that they're they're dealing with. And um, so on a cultural basis, you know, these are these are what connect us. And um, they they can be very strong for each individual organization. Um, when it comes to the project economy or the 1099 economy, I do I personally differentiate between the gig economy, which tends to be um, in my mind, it's it's sort of easier to differentiate between gigs, which are tend to be very very short term, lots and lots and lots of projects like Handy or TaskRabbit, something like that, mm-hmm. versus the ten ninety nine economy, where you have you know long t- long term, but you know maybe two days a week with one company, one day a week. So that those are longer term project or independent contracting relationships, and that changes because you have those. Um, certainly the research in the past was showing that TaskRabbit and Handy and those type of gigs were supplemental income for the most part, not the main income. So the 1099, when I'm looking at the 1099 income, that becomes important in terms of how it's being supported and, and how much, how many more people are choosing a range of work arrangements, including which may be, you know, a part-time employment and then, and then um, more project work on the site. So what I would probably say in terms of culture connecting it is that you likely work for for a number these many of these these companies that you're working for have similar cultural characteristics because you would not be working probably I'm guessing we don't know each other very well but I'm guessing you'd be choosing companies that have the kind of mindset or the kind of or the the, the same the kind of vision that you that aligns with your vision and the and the kind of cultural values that you have so you're not you're not having to massively change the type of culture yeah. like oh this is a really sort of toxic culture versus this is you know that or or maybe you you know maybe you can deal with the toxic boss in in, in one company but but overall the vision and the mission are similar so that it isn't yeah. it isn't discordant you're not having to completely you know kind of like put on a completely different hat because we're trying to be who we are every day and that that 
going to, if it isn't consistent or congruent with the, the sort of environment and the, that we're working in or, or the people that we're working with, that becomes more challenging these days. And that's why, you know, a lot of younger folks certainly are leaning into and asking about the cultural values before they go and work somewhere. Um, that's interesting that you say that because I will not take, and maybe I am more of a project like 1099. I'm like, I've never gotten so many 1099s in my life before, like as I was doing my taxes this year. Because right. it is like, I will not do business now that I have choice as an entrepreneur. I won't do business with a culture that I think is, you know, just not a fit for me. I just won't. I don't, I'll go. find something else. I trust that I find some, I'll find something else or I'll figure out how to offset, subsidize my income if I need to but I will not compromise their values. And that and, means on the other side that somebody who's hiring you, they're going to want to have, you know, so we talked about cultural fit and a cultural fit, you know, can mean when it's not uh, practiced, what I would say correctly, cultural fit for me means um, that you're aligning values. It's not about having people that look and sound the same or have the same education, you know, because there are certainly, it, it's about having a lot of diverse people, but who have, who are aligned with their values um, because rather than being something that can, can be discriminatory. So, but it means that if I'm hiring you and we're making, I'm making sure that we, that, that, where it's a cultural fit so that you're going to enjoy working in my company and you're going to feel included and welcomed and comfortable and be able to contribute and all the rest of it. That means that you, that we can feel connected on those values, even if I'm, you know, you're not with, and, you know, working with, with, with the teams in, in the company, you know, five days a week. Um, and, and so that's, I think how you can, you can be working across different companies and different work arrangements because those those values are are profound to who to who you are and to who you know you know I am in my company that's hiring you um, and that's the way to connect us and and have that sense of belonging even if you're not there five days a week or no you know, and I love that you talk about the values because I can think about organizations where you know earlier in my career you get your employee handbook these are our five values right honesty trust whatever <laughs> the heck they are and um, they're all respect right they're all the same at every company it feels like sometimes. Um, and then you come into the company and you're like, oh, but these values are really just part of the employee handbook. We actually don't hold people accountable to this. Right, so then it becomes right. funnier to be like, what are values now? And so it's interesting yeah. to feel like there were these like, I don't want to call it a facade of values because I do know there were plenty of people that absolutely adhered to them, but there were also people that were not held accountable to adhere to them. Mm -hmm. But now you have this thing of like, you can loosely as an organization talk about your values but I will enforce the values. Like right. I will make sure that I am standing confidently in that right place. So like, if you don't actually adhere to your values, I will walk. And I think there's a lot of people that yes. will do that now from my generation. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm not going to just sit there. If you're going to pretend and like smoke and mirrors and make it look so cool and it's not bye. like, why well, would I waste my time? Is, if, if I don't, if I don't trust you as a company, right. Right. This is this is why the whole the whole leadership dynamic has changed, and it's going away from this command. I sort of you know change, going from commander to coach, and I talk about this a lot in my book, because in that relationship, trust is so critical, and trust and empathy and understanding someone. Because if you don't trust me, there is no. I am so aware of the, or certainly the younger generation is so aware of the lack of uh, job security in this country. It has been there for a long time, but it, 
we, I, I think, you know, I was certainly sort of delusioned <laughs> that you know, there was more job security, but really when you're at will, you're at will and, and, you know, yeah. you can be fired for, for any reason almost, um, or just be let go because things have changed and these things are pivoting and, you know, goodness knows what. But if, if I believe if, if the company values are integrity and trust and empathy or transparency, then I think at least the company that I'm working for is going to give me a heads up, is going to be open and clear with me so that even if things are changing, that they're actually going to help me, you know, maybe find a new position in the job, upskill so that I, at least I can be looking for another job either inside the organization. There are companies that help people find jobs. I mean, seriously, I mean, obviously there's outplacement, but really engage in trying to help someone find a job because things are changing. So if I think this company is going to help me in my career, I'm going to stay there and I'm going to, that loyalty is going to come from the connection on the values when there isn't any, any legal reason that, that sort of that loyalty, that, that relationship is the relationships um, and the, the, the sense of trust um, that, that are going to keep, keep people there. And the, you know, the feeling that, that, you know, this company is investing in me, um, they're going to keep me competitively challenged and, and developing me. And I actually was just talking to a friend of mine from business school who his company um, uh, just won the uh, company m- most likely to help me grow in my career. And that was a new, it's a new category. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. Because what it means is that that there's, those employees are saying that company is going to help me stay competitive. And and they were um, as well as obviously contributing the bit to the business because if if, if, if the, the employees are growing and developing they're obviously going to be you know um, investing in the business as well. So I thought that was a really interesting new category and was very yes. For him, well, it's, that's so true. Like in the work that I do with Crosscom, gosh, Crosscom has been one of the best organizations at showing like support and value and feeling seen. It was just almost startling at first when I got that. I was like, what do you mean? Because I worked in a cutthroat or a more cutthroat, two different cutthroat, like kind of conservative cultures. And then you talked about this too. And now I'm working for another company. And the first thing that they said to me is, we just want you to be you. Don't worry about (laughs) everyone else. We just want you to be you. And, And those like, you know, I will absolutely take less money. I will you know, work harder, just, I, <laughs> right, but I will, because that those values limits yeah. are so important. And yes, I have yeah. student loans to pay. Yes, I do. Like, so to the people, okay, so pay them all. Like, but I will still figure yeah. it out. If I, you know, I would still take less pay. I know that I'll figure out how to pay my student loans yeah. or whatever debts I might have. And like, I will still do that because my happiness is so important, but I, I know that we're near the end of show. And I just want to ask you, Sophie, like any final thoughts as it relates to maybe the conversation that we've had today or your book, Empathy Works, what would you like to share on a final note with our listeners? Uh, thank you. This has been a great conversation. And I, so the thing about this book is, you know, ultimately the whole point of it was to, to be practical and to actually, again, help people understand each other because, well, you have to start with yourself first. So you have, you have to have enough understanding about yourself to be able to understand other people that you're working with. And it could be within the company. It could be along your supply chain, anybody in your ecosystem, and really just be leaning into that and, and being very practical about different empathy habits, which could be really small, just like, 
you know, having, whether you're working virtually or in person, you know, connecting with someone at the beginning or the end of the meeting, you know, oh, you know, how's, how's your dog doing? We're both dog owners. You know, we've yeah. had, we both had our dog, dogs um, interrupting us. Um, and they actually are right, right here next to me. Mine's um, locked out right now. Yeah. Because mine's <laughs> locked out. She can't come when we're doing it live. Otherwise, oh, okay. Well, I thought I'd have them here so we wouldn't be talking. <laughs> so, um, you know, so we connect on that. These type of, of, you know, connections are so important. Um, so that's a very basic one. But there are lots of things that you can do in terms of empathy, which is like reading, reading other people, looking at their faces, uh, listening to, to their voices. When somebody sends you an email or a text, um, you know, looking, checking, did, did, did somebody really mean that? Checking what, what, they, what they meant without making a judgment. So there are lots and lots of practical things that in the book. Um, as well as sort of giving a, a, a greater framework. So the idea is really to, to bring more human understanding, you know, really uh, lean into that count, that sort of the human-centric, as I said, counterbalance to this technology-driven um, landscape because we're, now we're coming out of the, of the, the pandemic. I know we just had some huge uh, new uh, uh, COVID um, uh, cases coming up, but, but now that we're coming out of it, there is no back to go back to. So we need to, to, to really craft the way forward for every single you know, organization, for their company, for their employees. And that's going to be different. So really trying to work out how to do that and how best to be able to connect with people and work that out, bringing everybody together and getting their contributions, because that's going to be the, the most successful way forward, really getting the expertise from you know, more seasoned you know, managers and executives the technology savvy for, from tends to be from people who've really grown up with the technology and having everybody together um, working together effectively. And that for me is really using empathy to do that. So, so that's kind of like the, 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 the reason that I think this book is important is to, to sort of help people, you know, be coming out of the, 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 the pandemic and really being able to, to forge a new way forward that's going to be effective and enjoyable. And people engage in their work and have some fun. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, we have one short lit, like life, like work does not have yeah. to be this awful place. Like there are a lot of things that we can do and it all starts. Well, actually I'll just say this. It all starts with empathy. Empathy works. <laughs> uh, Sophie, how do people get in touch with you? Where can they get the book? The book drops May 3rd. How can they get in touch with you? Uh, wonderful. So uh, please pre-order it. It's available on Amazon, on all kinds of online retailers, whatever your favorite retailer is, please go and pre-order it there. And if you do, there is actually a pre-order offer because you can get a free uh, um, ticket to, to join a, a live webinar where you can ask me questions live. So that's great. SophieWay.com. Uh, there's lots of information about the book there. There are also worksheets that um, will be available with the, in the book. You'll see that there are worksheets to help you sort of go through all kinds of things and choose your empathy habits and stuff like that. Um, so SophieWay.com, my company is also FlexelNetwork.com, but SophieWay.com is where all the information about the book is. And I'm also, I have some LinkedIn courses, which um, are actually free for the month of uh, April, if you want to take advantage of those. Now. Oh, fantastic. I love that offer. Free courses. <laughs> Sophie, thank you so much for donating your time, passion, and expertise to share your perspective, your lived experience with the Leadership Habit listeners. I am so grateful to have you on the podcast. I hope to have you back again. And for everyone listening, May 3rd, pre-order your copy, Empathy Works. Thank you so much, Sophie Wade. Thank you, Jen. Really, really appreciate it. It's been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I loved the conversation with Sophie. So many different 
thoughts, different points of awareness and reflection that came up as a result of that conversation. And as Sophie shared, her new book, Empathy Works, The Key to Competitive Advantage in the New Era of Work, comes out May 3rd. And you can head on over to sophiewade.com and there you can actually pre-order your copy. If you know someone that could benefit from this episode or they could really maybe gain a new perspective from hearing our conversation, share this episode with them. And of course, if you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time.